I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 23, all the way down to chapter 33, verse 25. And then we'll be looking at Psalm 135. What we're looking at is a wrap on Hezekiah's lifetime accomplishments. So we're putting a wrap on Hezekiah. And then we'll also, once again, as we did in yesterday's reading, look at Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, and Ammon, which was Manasseh's son. And these readings are somewhat paralleled uh, in Second Kings chapter 21. Uh, and uh, we looked at those chapters yesterday. Second Chronicles 32, verse 23. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem, and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. In those days Hezekiah was sick to the death, and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him, and upon Judah and Jerusalem." Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil, and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him substance very much. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper watercourse of Gihon, and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all his works. Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel." And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the chiefest of the sepulchres of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did honor him at his death. And Manasseh his son reigned in his stead. These eleven verses serve as a um, glowing endorsement of Hezekiah's life and accomplishments. The only comment about his shortcomings in this passage is to be found in verse 25 when it said there, there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Now take a look at Second Kings chapters 20 and 21 to see the details of Hezekiah's pride and the subsequent prayer for the lengthening of his life. Remember, that's the uh, sundial incident. God prospered Hezekiah, and he reserved Judah's fall until after his death. Then Judah's fall was not to the Assyrians, but to the Babylonians. 
One notable and archaeologically validated accomplishment of Hezekiah is seen in verse 30, where it says, And Hezekiah himself hath stopped the upper source of the waters of Gihon, and directed them beneath to the west of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospereth in all his work. This verse adds detail to Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 2 through 4. Here's what it says in those verses. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city. And they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? This tunnel, by the way, of 1,750 feet, it supplied the pool of Siloam inside Jerusalem, which, of course, Jerusalem was a walled city, supplied fresh water from that spring of Gihon outside the city. In 1880, an inscription was discovered by a boy who was bathing in the waters of the Gihon Spring. And studying the inscription, it was determined that it had been carved in stone there by Hezekiah's worker to chronicle their success. The tunnel had been hewn from stone coming from two different directions, from within the city at the Pool of Siloam and from without the city at the Spring of Gihon. The workers, according to the inscription, met in the middle. The tunnel supplied water, fresh water, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem during the siege of the Assyrians in 701 B.C. And it's because of the availability of fresh water to Jerusalem, coupled with the lack of water outside of Jerusalem because of the water diversion, that the Jews were able to outlast the Assyrians in the attempted but unsuccessful takeover. The water diversion was just part of Hezekiah's preparation for battle against the Assyrians. You can look at the notes on and the passage on Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 1-8 through 8, for more detail on that. Now, I've written an article entitled Hezekiah's Tunnel, which gives more detail, and as a matter of fact, has a couple of pictures that you might find interesting of that very tunnel um, that uh, were taken, located on a site called BiblePlaces.com. Then we come to chapter 33 of Second Chronicles, where we talk about the evil king Manasseh. Now, we looked at him in yesterday's reading in 2 Kings chapter 21. The parallel passage to that is the one that we're going to look at right now in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. I've placed uh, both passages side by side. The one on the right is not part of today's reading, but that is 2 Kings chapter 21, which is what we read yesterday. In uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 33 verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, likened to the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit. And with wizards he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. 
neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Second Kings chapter 21, verses 1-18, through 18, found in this passage in the right-hand column. Uh, they chronicle Manasseh's rotten life also. He was evil. We see in verse 6 of this passage in Second Chronicles the details of Manasseh's wickedness. It says, And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 9 sums it up when it says, so Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. We find that he built altars to nearly all the false gods, the ones his dad had torn down, by the way. He burned his own kids and sacrificed and erected pagan idols right there in the temple. In Second Chronicles chapter 33, uh, verses 10 through 20, we see that Manasseh gets a second chance. Now, this information regarding Manasseh's repentance toward God, that's not told in Second Kings chapter 21. We only get it here in Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 10. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto them, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Now after this he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering in at the fish gate, encompassed about Ophel, and raised it up a very great height, and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord, and in Jerusalem, and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only." Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sin and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his own house and Ammon his son reigned in his stead. In these 11 verses, Ezra, after the exiles return, and Ezra gives them a history lesson, he's uh, writing, as I mentioned, for the returning exiles, and he shows a side of Manasseh that was not told in Second Kings. Manasseh gets a second chance. The Assyrians capture Manasseh, then he repents. God honors this prayer of repentance and restores him back as king of Judah. We don't know the details of how this jailbreak took place. Manasseh then tries to undo that which characterized him in the early part of his reign. 
He tries to return Judah to God. His efforts were little on the slight side, however. Notice what verse 17 tells us after Manasseh got rid of the idols in the temple. It says, Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. Now let's get the picture clearly here. They didn't tear down those disgusting abominations known as high places. They compromised. These pagan altars had been built to the custom specifications of the pagan gods to whom they were dedicated. But instead of tearing them down, as they should have, they simply specified that the offerings they made on those altars were made to God rather than those pagan deities. Same place, same ritual, same sacrifice, just different words. The law of Moses specifically required that all sacrifices be made on the altar of God. Then, beginning in chapter 33, verse 21, the evil king Ammon, he just gets four verses. Now, by the way, in 2 Kings chapter 21, which we looked at yesterday, he gets eight verses there. Now, 2 Chronicles 33, verse 21. Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father, for Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them, and humbled not himself before the Lord, as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. And his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead." So Ammon only gets five verses here in Second Chronicles 33 and only eight verses over in Second Kings chapter 21. Like father, like son, he followed the pattern of his father's early reign, false gods, so forth. Since after Manasseh's return to God, he didn't actually get rid of the high places, Ammon strikes back up the worship to those false gods right there. That's what happens when people compromise with evil rather than eliminate it. He was killed by his own servants, who were subsequently killed by the people, and his son, eight-year-old Josiah, becomes the king. Now that brings us to Psalm 135. This psalm is of unknown origin. We don't know the author, and we don't know the time period. And so we're going to read this at this point in our chronological study of the Old Testament. The themes, bless you the Lord, verse 1. There is no subtitle here, by the way. Verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the name of the Lord, praise him, O ye servants of the Lord, ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries, who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast, who sent tokens and wonders into the midst of thee, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants, who smote great nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan and gave the land for an heritage, and heritage unto Israel his people. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. 
For the Lord will judge his people, and he will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not, neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are likened to them, so is every one that trusteth in them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. The authorship of this psalm is not known, as I mentioned earlier. Likewise, we don't know the date either. It's not apparent. This psalm is written like a recitation for a pep rally in honor of God's power and faithfulness. It's typical in the psalms and the prophets to cite reminders for God's people of his faithfulness to them in the past. Now let's look at some of the specific instances of God's faithfulness recounted by the psalmist. First of all, the plagues upon Egypt prior to the Exodus. He talks about those in verses 8 and 9. Then he talks about the conquering of the king Sihon and Og on the east side of the Jordan just prior to conquering Cana in verses 10 and 11. Then he mentions the conquering of Canaan itself in verse 12. Perhaps this is yet another of those crisis situations, and this psalm is reminding the people that God can do it again. He indeed was with Israel in conquering the lands with the false gods as stated. If this was written during the Assyrian siege on Jerusalem, which could have been, then these words take on deep meaning to the inhabitants of that city. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.